Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Good evening. Hello. My name is Elizabeth Sam. I'm Daketh from Fort St. James, Nakesley Waten. That's by Prince George, right in the center of BC. I am here to welcome you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here to welcome you. Uh, even though I'm a guest here, I'm not from here. They've asked me to do the welcome and the land acknowledgement. So I, I'm here to welcome you to the Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Thank you. I'm a feminist, but on my way from Toronto to right here in Vancouver, <laughs> minus seven degrees, completely snowed in. <laughs> I was in an airport coffee shop in Toronto. I was standing in the line and I was chatting to someone while struggling to open a bottle. And big fan of people who struggle to open bottles there. <laughs> I was chatting to another comedian. I was struggling to open this bottle. And an airline pilot in the line next to me, in the queue, turned to me and said, oh, I love your accent. And I said, oh, thank you so much. Could you open my bottle, please? <laughs> Adding in my head, with your great big pilot hands <laughs> that control a mechanical bird in the sky and defy God and nature and gravity and everything. And he did. He opened it in his uniform with his little wings on his little lapel and on his little shoulder and his little stripes. And he was all piloty. <laughs> I struggle to open bottles. You should know this about me. I once couldn't open a bottle in a way that, and I was so thirsty, I made a taxi driver, I was in tears, so the taxi driver pulled over, got out, <laughs> got into the back of, because in London cabs, you need to get out of the car, open my bottle, got back in and continued to drive. <laughs> and I felt fine about it. <laughs> now, my theory is, when they close the pay gap and women have equal representation to men, I will learn to open bottles. <laughs> Up until that point, fuck them. They can do it. I agree. Um, I'm a feminist, but men can shovel the walkway. <laughs> That's particularly for today and on my way here. You want me to hit you with another one? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm, yes. I'm a feminist, but 
some jobs men do better than women, like blowjobs. <laughs> they no. just know what they're working with and they know how to work it. And Do you think you give a better blowjob if you know... If I were a man, yes. If you... Or a person with a penis, in fact. So you think you'd know what you're working with. Okay, so what we need to ask women in the room who are either lesbians with previous experience <laughs> or bisexual or pansexual women who have tasted both fruits <laughs> are women... <laughs> so that answers that. <laughs> People with vaginas are better at understanding how to manipulate vaginas. That's what you're saying. It is. I mean, people with penises, anybody can figure it out. It's up, down, you know? Do you think that's the case? Whereas vaginas need more... Yeah, aren't we more of an indoor situation happening? No. I'm a feminist. But in the same airport where my bottle was opened by a friendly pilot with heft... <laughs> I walked past the spank shop, as in the oh, yes. tight-fitting undergarment spank shop, and looked in the window briefly to mock the garments inside. Because many of you will know I do not approve of spanks. And I genuinely, genuinely don't wear them except with certain dresses. And <laughs> I only compromise in extreme situations with that. <laughs> and... While I was looking mockingly into the window of the Spank shop, I saw, and I'm not making this up, you can go Google this, Spank's arm tights. Yes! It's a new thing! To slim your arms, to slim, firm, tighten and lift your arms. And I mocked them so hard. And then I walked away and thought, I don't need Spank's arm tights, do I? Why are my arms not tighter? My arms are inadequate. I just had that moment of going... That's a thing I didn't know I had to hate <laughs> on my person. Someone asked me the other day, what's my favorite part of my body? And I had to think for so long. Your favorite part? Yeah. I've ended up saying my face. But that makes me feel a bit sad because that's really not what they were asking. Yeah. Face is called face because it's not body. I know. <laughs> I quite. I can tell you. What part? I kind of like my tits. And, yeah. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I should, probably shouldn't need a backup explanation, but I like my breasts a lot. And do you know what I like about them? I don't think they're the sort of breasts that you're meant to feel really good about, and I do. I think <laughs> they are... You know, like, the patriarchy doesn't look at these breasts and go, top marks. They're not top-draw breasts if we're talking <laughs> billboard or trying to please men or, you know, if they're not. I've got quite a big yeah. Am frame. I supposed to look right now or? Oh, by all means, okay. I'll open my jacket to make it easier. So, <laughs> so you know, they're just they're perfectly nice. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're quite when they're out of the bra, they're not sort of, you know, they don't face to the heavens. But they're just, I don't know, I just think they're perfectly... They're bowing down to the reflection of you. I feel they're just a good example of the genre. That's what I think. <laughs> it's a strong example of the genre. They're not spectacular breasts, but I just like them. I've never, 
ever, ever looked at my breasts and thought, I wish they were different. Not Good. once in my life. Now, that's more than I can say for my thighs, gang. But <laughs> I say I've gained and lost weight so many times that my boobs are like an atheist dad at Catholic mass. It's just like, I'm not going to get up again. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> but I like mine too. Yeah, I just, I just think it's nice to have a part of your body that just, it works for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It works for me. I can hoik them up if I need to. For totally. A, if I've got a black tie event. Yeah. Hoik them up, get them out, get the girls out. <laughs> I don't feel strongly either way and it's just nice not to be, you know. Mm. I love that for I'd you. like to like my legs more. But in my head, really, I'd like them to be different. And that's not the same. Yeah. I'd like to like them more because they were different from how they are. And that's a shame. I am coming to embrace my bum, my ass. Your bum. I mean, literally embracing it is a challenge because of the logistics. Yeah. I mean, God almighty, thank you so much, Beyonce and Lizzo and Shiv from Succession. Those women have paved the way with making the ass a desirable commodity and I representation out there like I like seeing all different kinds of butts that's why I like the boob books too where you can you know thumb through different boobs it's like I've never is... seen that oh <laughs> you guys don't know the boob books I don't know I just that's saw one, not, one that's not a thing you've made that up <laughs> maybe that I googled boobs <laughs> I'm a feminist but um, I harshly judge women who order coffee in a baby voice like, we know when you raise your voice to order, like, I don't, I know that I've become a different person since I stopped changing my voice to place an order. So I'll just say, like, hi, can I have a black coffee? Which is different than maybe even before. I would be like, hey, what's up? Hi, can I have a black coffee, please? Like, you know what I mean? And then what's the woman I especially harshly judge, like, um, can I get um, a coffee with, like, a little bit of milk? Because a baby gets what they want, but not a woman. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do know what you mean. Kind of like, maybe I should just do that, like a little yeah, milk. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I'm a feminist. But I saw a post on social media earlier that showed a woman with no makeup and then the same woman heavily made up. And the tagline said, men who say makeup is false advertising need to realize that women aren't a product. And I thought, yes, sister. And then I thought... How did she do that smoky eye? Does she have a YouTube channel? My eyes are inadequate. <laughs> Live from the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver, Canada, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Beth Stelling, and very special guests, Elizabeth Sam, Carol Martin, and Evelyn Youngchief talking about fighting for your rights. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Beth Stelling, and we're talking about fighting for our rights. This stool, it's a bit of a... Oh, you're missing a link. Is it? Yeah, you're missing, you're missing a little bar there. I, I wouldn't feels, trust it. I'd just say it's... 
I'm listen. All I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on it, but I'm gonna say this show has just there's a jeopardy that wasn't there before. <laughs> this has added a it's raised the stakes, which is always good for entertainment. This is a risk. There's a roulette situation going on here. This if is... this collapses backwards, Beth's gonna take over the show. <laughs> I'll and try to save you and be impaled by this, and then I, I suspect, and then what? Yeah, it's probably fi- it's probably fine, but I might. <laughs> Beth, would you say you're more in the guilty tribe or the feminist tribe? What's your week been like? Oh, I'm in the feminist tribe. I've gone hard in the paint. Uh, hard I, in the paint? Is that an American or a Canadian expression? It's a basketball term. Hard in the paint. Cheers. Pure vodka. You've gone hard in the paint. Yeah, I've been just, uh, I've been going. Have you made that up for me? No, <laughs> no. I've just been going hard in my stand-up. Um, a couple of stand-up specials came out in the fall from some male comedians that uh, made me angry. And uh, I find sometimes... Do we... tell more. <laughs> sometimes... Who made you angry and how did they make you angry and how can we take revenge? <laughs> I think uh, it's sort of like... I've been ruminating on it now since it came out in the fall, and sometimes it takes a minute for uh, anger to turn into humor. So um, I've just been testing some things out on some friendly audiences. And... uh, (laughs) That's a very typical guilty feminist I felt it, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, hopefully it'll be my new special once I work it out. Yeah. I'm coming for them. So exciting. Are we, allowed, <laughs> are we allowed to say where the special is coming out off the record? I don't even know. I don't know anything. There's so many rules. It's no, okay, we're not, not allowed where to my say. last one was, but it'll come out in May. It'll come out in May. We're not allowed to say where, but somewhere really exciting and good. She's under contract. There's a sniper up there <laughs> from one of the streaming services. I was supposed to sit in that chair, actually, so can they just kick out the... One from underneath. This will just fall through the floor if I say the name of any of the streaming services. <laughs> Do you feel you fought for some rights in your life? And has it shifted at anything? I have. I do feel like I have. I feel like I try to in my stand-up, especially this new, newer hour. Yeah, I try. I try to make it funny. You know, there is a value in making it entertaining because an armor comes down sometimes. This is the thing that bothers me, too, is, like, your words are magnets, A, for people who come to see you. And sometimes people will say, well, they're just jokes. And it's like, not if you're a very powerful person on a platform with millions of people listening. What you say matters. Oh, there's no such thing as just a joke. Yeah. There's no such thing as just a joke. A joke is a package for an idea that can travel around the world more quickly than anything else. And so you are building a worldview with your jokes. And the worldview are you building, is it one that includes people who are less often included or is it one who excludes people who are more often excluded who are you including who are you excluding it's kind of why I wanted to go to Texas on this tour yeah because I did say to the producers I feel like we could rename this tour Deborah Francis White Preaches to the Choir (laughs) I was thinking Debbie Does Dallas but either way if I made a porn film, it would probably be called Deborah Does Derbyshire. <laughs> Deborah Does Derbyshire. That sounds quite sophisticated. I'm in. If you do make high-quality adult entertainment, slide into my DMs. Don't. Please don't. That's a joke. That's a joke. Okay. Shaping a worldview. I wish to retract it. I do not wish 
anybody from the adult entertainment industry to slide into my DMs and offer me a gig, unless it's incredibly well paid. Um, <laughs> I'm just because just I'm busy at the moment. Now... Welcome to the stage, the one, the only, the incredible Bastelli! Oh my gosh. Um, this wasn't the outfit I planned on wearing, uh, <laughs> but I was too cold to change, which was coincidentally also the reason my last relationship ended. Okay, we're having fun. Um... I do have a sports bra on, so I hope my boob looks good. And that's what <laughs> looks are everything, as we know. <laughs> um, what else? Okay, so I did, oh, I tasted my very first Chipotle burrito. I eat them every day, but this is the first time I, like, taste it. You know, normally, I'm just like... <laughs> what would it be like to eat to survive? I don't know. So... I was at the Chipotle. I like to sort of get to a new city and see what your Chipotle is all about. And just, you know, explore the local flavors. And I was watching the gentleman bring my burrito to life. And I was sliding down the line with him. And he laid it to rest atop the foil. And I found my... I was looking at the burrito through the glass... And I found myself sort of growing emotional, which I can't fully explain. I'm not on birth control. And, because sometimes birth control is like, I know you're hungry, but what if you cried? You know, so, it wasn't that. And I look at him, and then I look at the Brie again, and I, out loud to him, I, I decided to say, it looks like a little sleepy bunny. And he looked at me like, you're far too high to be here. I mean, you know when you've smoked weed, but you haven't spoken to anyone yet that day? So like the first words out of your mouth, you're like, oh, this is how high I am. And you just want to like scoop the words back in your mouth. Like, why would you say that? I scared myself. Uh, I'm not even much of a drug person. Um, drugs do scare me. I was dating a Russian DJ, naturally. And he had just told me that he was going to stop doing cocaine for me. <laughs> Which meant he was going to stop telling me when he did cocaine. And... Because, like, like, I'll have a drink. I'll take a little toot on the weed horn, absolutely. But hard, hard drugs do scare me. And we were, like, really... We hit it off immediately. And I was trying to, like, you know, keep it light and not latch on too soon. And he looked at me, it was like our fourth date, and he said, um, I haven't felt this way about a woman in six years. <laughs> and all I could think was just, who is she? <laughs> all I need is an Instagram handle so I can get to her Etsy store. <laughs> so I can order one of her items and leave a cryptic review. <laughs> I love women. I 
hate what we do in review sections. <laughs> uh, I do a lot of online shopping to feel whole. And I order many, many items, all of which I send back. And I read a ton of reviews because I'm very careful when I waste my time. And there, I'll be on like Bloomingdales.com looking at some inordinately expensive t-shirt where a woman has written a review that says something like, I'm five foot one, 90 pounds, and swimming in a small. It's like, we get it. <laughs> You've never broken a chair, okay? <laughs> Just say it runs large, okay? We don't need your stats, Nina. So after this woman called me fat on the internet, I went into the reviews of the same t-shirt uh, and I wrote my own little review without having purchased it. And my review just said, um, I'm five foot nine. I graduated magna cum laude. I'm a homeowner and I don't weigh myself. Post. <laughs> Uh, 43 people found that helpful so that's I'm a coffee person I'm the type of person who like in the morning I need coffee but I don't need a shirt that says I need coffee I just I feel like that invites exactly what I don't want which is people like looking at me or talking to me. <laughs> Until I've had my coffee. You know, I just, I don't, I don't think our clothes need like descriptors of our character necessarily. I think our clothes are doing the talking. I used to work at this cafe when I first moved to Los Angeles. And uh, if a woman came in wearing like all lycra or all spandex, I didn't need her to have a shirt on that said, I'm the worst, you know, like I... <laughs> I knew. I knew she was going to order like a large latte to go and then head off to the workout class. Everybody's clear what a latte is, right? It's, it's a lot of hot milk. It's two ounces of espresso, minimum eight ounces steaming hot milk. You're going to chug that and then go shake around in a workout class? What is your secret to perpetual diarrhea? I just, my point is our clothes say a lot about us. I, I typically dress as if I'm hiding a pregnancy, okay? You never see me walking around in a shirt that's like, don't talk to me until I've had my abortion, you know? You're right, I should have said our abortion. I'm so sorry, he's here. I didn't mean to... Sometimes I, it does take two. And sometimes I feel, sometimes I feel like the men I sleep with are like drug dealers. And I'm more of like a drug mule. You know, like I risk more, I'm paid less. And if the condom breaks, I'm in so much trouble. You know, I think my, <laughs> it's a bit of a metaphor. Um, there are good men out there I was leaving who are very supportive of the cause. I was leaving Bloomington, Indiana, 
after doing shows and I saw a man praying in front of Planned Parenthood. And I imagined he was just saying like, dear God, please make sure that Brenda came here on Wednesday when she said she would. (laughs) So there are good ones out there. My dad uh, is not going to like that joke. Um, He and I really don't see eye to eye on women's autonomy. He lives in Orlando, Florida, and his personality is uh, very much Fox News. And, yeah, he hates Planned Parenthood. He thinks all they do is kill babies because I got one abortion there. (laughs) I'm just, I'm kidding. I haven't told him yet. But I can't wait because I don't think he'll talk to me again. But I do like to donate in his name. And I will sometimes, you know, I'll do like a fundraiser for them here and there. And I was asked to come perform at this Um, fundraiser. It's called the Birds and Bees Bash. It's like a yearly event that happens in Santa Barbara, California. Like It's a bunch of rich old people gather together and throw money at the cause. It's a beautiful thing. So they invited me to come do 15 minutes of stand-up. I show up. It's like a swanky event. So I've slapped on a skirt, which is a big deal for me. And it's in this beautiful ballroom, and they sit me down in the back of this uh, banquet hall type thing next to Joanna Kearns. If you don't know who that is... It's Mrs. Seaver from Growing Pains. And if you don't know who that is, <laughs> I don't care. I was so excited. Okay. <laughs> I sat down and I was like, <laughs> So she explains she's going to give the keynote speech. Then she'll bring me up to do 15 minutes of stand-up. I was like, great. So Joanna's up there talking about Planned Parenthood, what it means to her and her family, how they helped her with breast exams. And a woman at the back of the room starts to have a heart attack. And Joanna just keeps talking because she doesn't know what's going on in the back of the room. Just like I can't always know what's going on in the back of every room. People could be in the back row right now making sweet, sweet love, and I would have no clue, especially if it was, like, super slow, like I like. So Joanna's up here talking. This woman's having a heart attack. I'm watching her have a heart attack, but I'm also like, what jokes am I going to tell? You know, And then... An ambulance comes very quickly, almost as if they knew there was like a gathering of olds and they just parked on the corner. (laughs) So they rush in. They put this woman on a stretcher because it was a heart attack, but it was like a low-key heart attack. She fell out of her chair. Her husband was worried. But as they were wheeling her out towards the door past our table, she looks at our table and she goes, I'm so sorry. I'm fine. I am so sorry. (laughs) Which might... Um, be the epitome of being a woman. She's like, I'm sorry I interrupted with a heart attack. I'll die if that helps. I really will. I'm happy to die. So just as they have her out the door, this is when Joanna Kearns says to everybody, she says, who's ready for some stand-up comedy? (laughs) I was like, oh no. So I get up, and I'm like weaving my way through the tables in my dumb skirt, and the woman who's planned the event intercepts me. She's like panicked, and she puts her hand on my shoulder, and she's like, I don't know. Maybe you should do less time, like five minutes or something. I was like, bitch, I'm doing 15. You know, so I get up there, felt like I really needed to address the situation because I hadn't learned this lesson yet. And so I got up there in front of everybody and I said, wow, I've done a lot of things to get out of donating money, but never that. (laughs) 
They didn't laugh like you guys. Um, <laughs> it's taken me two years to be able to talk about that. But my dad would be proud. I, I bombed a Planned Parenthood, so that's, that was too dark. That was a little dark at the end. Beth Stunning, everybody! Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah. I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who came to the North American tour. It was one of the highlights of my life and I can't wait to come back and see you all again very, very soon. Thank you also to everyone in North America who is buying the Guilty Feminist book, which is out now and available in bookshops and online. Thanks to everybody in the UK who came to the first ever Joyful Resistance at Amnesty International, which is a project from me and Improbable Theatre. And we look forward to telling you about more Joyful Resistance events soon. In the meantime, keep tweeting, organising and meeting up and collaborating on the projects that we already began. We're coming to Australia. I am touring with The Guilty Feminist, Sydney, Brisbane, The Gold Coast, Melbourne, Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland. And if you go to guiltyfeminist.com, you can find details of all the shows. Some have sold out, but you can go on a wait list and some there are tickets still for. I am from the Gold Coast. I was born and raised there and that's one that's not sold out. Uh, So if you'd like to come and fill that out and support, I would really be happy and excited. Grace Petrie. Uh, who you will know from the podcast, who sings Black Tie tonight, amongst other wonderful songs, is coming with me. It's going to be a true celebration. We're going to have music every night. It's going to be awesome. The Guilty Feminist is headlining the WOW Festival, Women of the World, on Saturday, the 7th of March. Get in there, get to other events at WOW, and come and see us at the Royal Festival Hall. You can get tickets at southbankcentre.co.uk. There's going to be some incredible co-hosts and guests. And the Guilty Feminist Tour of the UK, the same as we had last year, but with different material, kicks off on the 1st of May at the Hammersmith Apollo in London. We are coming, hopefully somewhere near you. It's going to be mammoth, even bigger than last year. So please visit guiltyfeminist.com. Get your tickets now before it sells out. It is selling really quickly. The wonderful Jessica foster Q, who you know and love from The Guilty Feminist, is touring her Edinburgh Award-nominated super-feminist show, Hench, that you will have heard all about all over the United Kingdom. If you want to go, and you do, go to jessicafosterq.com to see dates. If you're in the UK, please go to the Amnesty website and sign the Families Together petition. It's to allow unaccompanied minors and children who are refugees all alone to reunify with their family in the United Kingdom. And that will be delivered by Amnesty to the Home Office on Wednesday, the 5th of February. So please do it before then. Your signature really matters. If you get a Brexit 50p, Choose Love would absolutely love to have it. If you could donate it, that would be absolutely awesome. And finally, we have merchandise and all the money from the merchandise goes into our pot for good things uh, like the Joyful Resistance. So if you go to our website, you can see T-shirts, aprons, tea towels, notebooks, all sorts of fun, guilty feminist stuff with different slogans on. They make great gifts and fun things for yourself to inspire a new feminist 2020. My book is also there and available in all good bookshops. And now back to the podcast. Uh, 
our guests today include the wonderful Elizabeth Sam. Uh, she is from the Union of British Columbian Indian Chiefs, and she's also on the Coalition on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in British Columbia. <laughs> Alongside her is Carol Martin. She's worked uh, as a women's rights activist for 30 years. Uh, she's also on the Coalition on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in BC, as is Evelyn Youngchief, who has had uh, three family members affected by this issue. Uh, the coalition is compromised of family members and survivors and more than 40 entities, including indigenous organizations, frontline service organization, feminist and women's organization, legal advocates, and many more. So please welcome to the stage, Elizabeth, Carol, and Evelyn. Unlucky! Come, come, join. So, the little dog who has her own throne, that's Lucky, and she's joining us too. Uh, she's Elizabeth's dog. Lucky's my baby. I've had her for about 10 years. I found her in the bush in the middle of nowhere, and uh, now she's healthy and happy. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Sam, and I'm Daketh from Nakazli Waten in Fort St. James. And I, I work at the Union of BC Indian Chiefs as a policy analyst and cultural support. And I help to chair the coalition meetings. And uh, that's where I met these two amazing women. And uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Evelyn, can you tell us a bit about you? I know she'll make you little videos of this. Do you want me to make a video no, of you? Or are you live? I'm live. Are you live? Um, okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Evelyn Youngchief. I'm from the Kihiwin Cree Nation, northeastern Alberta. I've been in Vancouver for, uh, my first time I moved here was 85, uh, then I've been here since 93. I'm with uh, the BC Coalition. I'm also with the February 14 Memorial March Committee. I'm also with Sister Watch. Um, we formed it in 2010. We worked with the PD, the police chief, uh, fighting violence against women in downtown east side. I'm also with the National MMIWG2S Coalition of Canada. I've been a frontline worker in the downtown east side a very long time. Uh, I've been working on MIWG since I was 24 years old. The first time I started was through the late John Turvey. Um, John Turvey was, um, he was the first guy that uh, started the uh, safe injection site. He handed out uh, harm reduction starting in 85. And I was 24 years old. I was a street kid in Vancouver. I came from Edmonton, where I grew up. And uh, one day he took me to um, uh, his office, and he showed me um, this poster board of all the um, missing and murdered women that was uh, from the Green River Killer in Washington. So after that, I was more aware of my surroundings, and that led from, from that day on, it led to my work. So I'm glad you all made it here. And I'm hoping that... I'm, I'm hoping that you can all make it to the march, our march on February 14th. Uh, it's our 29th year. We commemorate the lives of missing and murdered women in downtown Eastside and in Vancouver. And I'll hand it over to Carol. Carol. Hi, how are you? Can you hear me? 
I've been working downtown for like almost 30 years, right? Mina Cordova. I'm also part of um, Sister Watts, um, where we try to take over the police station. We're in 20 years of inaction from the police. Remember, they were right on Main Street. So that's how Sister Watts um, started. I helped coordinate the Feb 14 Memorial March. It's really hard work, and I've been so happy over the years to see how it has grown with a lot of support from the community and from people all across Canada are starting their Feb 14 Memorial March. So can you tell us a little bit about what the mission of the groups that you work with is? Uh, what is it that you're doing? What's the purpose? Well, I don't want to scare anyone, but <laughs> <laughs> go on. When you talk about grassroots and you talk about warriors and matriarchs, and we've done a lot of work in the downtown east side. When a lot of our indigenous women couldn't get into shelters, we took over the women's center down at 302 Columbia Street, and it became a safe shelter at night for our indigenous sisters. And now we have a shelter that is open 24-7. And then, we try to, and then we try to take over the police station. And so now we get to sit at the table with the chief of police through Sister Watts. And then at one time at the First United Church, I don't know, it may hit the news about um, our sisters. I guess they had a shelter where men and women were. And a lot of our sisters were getting raped. And so we put a stop to that, and we just rallied and marched, and now they have separate shelters for our women. And we will go all the way when it comes to us. You want to talk about grassroots women, indigenous sisters, allies? We can get the work done. It's a lot of work, but we're down there. You know, a place that is plagued with homelessness, health issues, poverty. The Memorial March was set up to honor and commemorate the lives of all our sisters, doesn't matter what color, just to honor them, to acknowledge them for who they are as human beings, that they belong to someone, that they are a sister, an auntie, a cousin, a relative, and that they have connection, that they do mean something to someone, to us. And your support really reflects the support that is needed to push that forward. So the February 14th March, uh, can you tell us uh, why it's on February 14th and what we can do to get involved with that? I'll uh, give that question to Carol. <laughs> there's, oh, there's some butt passing going on here. They're, it's I... like they're pointing at each other like it's Reservoir Dogs. I have a lot to say, but Evelyn is an admin on our page, so she can also share. I want to give everybody free. Okay, the February, the February 14th uh, march came about in 1991. There was, uh, and for the longest time, we marched uh, for years and years. And it was only a few years ago that the family told us the reason why the February 14th came about, uh, march came about was because in 1991. There was a family member that was murdered and dismembered, and their body parts were strewn off different parts of the downtown east side. So um, because of that, and for the for years and years, like I came here from Montreal in '93, the years uh, the march had already been around for two years, 
And I got here on February 6th. I joined the march that year. I started, I've been going every year. I've missed a few. So for years and years, we didn't know why we were marching. Well, we knew why, but we didn't know what family it happened to. And it was only a few years ago they came forward. And so our march grows every year. Like this year's, uh, next month is 29 years. The march grows uh, larger every year. Uh, there's more and more people. Uh, we get a lot of support. It's a long day. We march um, in the morning. Uh, a few of us will have a press conference in the morning upstairs. And then in the theater of Carnegie, it's, the, it's not the broad public. It's the community and family members and friends of the missing and murdered that speak, and there's no media allowed, there's no picture taking or, or videos. And then at 12 o'clock, the elders of the march, they march out front and there's a circle, and somebody will do a land acknowledgement from the Muslim uh, nation. And then we go off to march, and we go, uh, we march from Carnegie's um, Main Street in Hastings, we go down. Main Street towards uh, the old police station, and we place a rose, a red rose where someone was murdered. A yellow rose is for someone who's last seen that's missing. And we go through Gastown, and we stop at various points, and it's a long, long day. Our elders are getting up there in age, but they're really strong. Like, I mean, some of these ladies are in their 70s, and they walk with us. Like, we're following them. So there's the elders, and then we have the drummers, we do this all day, and then we come back around full circle, and we have speeches, people speaking, and then we march down Hastings, and we go to Oppenheimer Park, and we have prayer and singing at the totem pole that's for the missing and murdered women in uh, Oppenheimer Park, and we lay down, um, it used to be candles, but now it's tea lights and Dixie cups, and family members who will lay out the pictures and that, then we march on, we walk over to uh, Japanese Hall, and we have a feast. And I'll be singing and more speakers. So it takes a lot of planning. So if you're ever around in downtown East Side, it'd be nice of you to join us. Hi. So this is coming up February 14th. And you would like as much support as possible and as many people to turn out as possible to remember missing and murdered Indigenous girls. Because we all know, you know, if a white woman or girl goes missing, there's an enormous media response, as there should be if a woman or girl goes missing. But then suddenly, if the missing woman or girl is a woman of colour, and especially an Indigenous woman or girl, there is not the same response. So it is down to us as communities to say this is important, we see you, we remember you, we care. And so the more of you that could come out, and also if you could not just take it upon yourself to do that, but could you tell people, could you spread that word? Could you bring more people? Could you bring more attention to this? And could we make this February the 14th the biggest one ever? Um, I think especially as it's Valentine's Day, actually, you know, the sort of this commercialization of displays of love. This is an actual display of love. This is an authentic and actual display of love. We're not saying you can't then go off with your significant other to an Italian restaurant and pay double the regular price for a table with a rose on it. It's obviously, you know, knock yourself out on that front as well. Uh, but this is something that you could do where you could make that day feel like it was really about love and not just a sort of display of love that you've been sold. 
by people that make uh, greeting cards. So how do we get involved in this? Where can we go on social media to find, to connect, and to amplify and spread this message? Uh, we have the February 14th Memorial March uh, page that you can join. We also have the event posted as of last Thursday. It's called the February 14th Women's Memorial March. You can find it on Facebook. About 12 years ago, Edmonton, uh, an organizer named Danielle, uh, contacted us, Women's Memorial March Committee, and asked us for help. And she started a march in Edmonton. And then after that, it carried on to the other cities across Canada. So there's marches held in Toronto and Montreal, all the major cities. And there are some small places, small mm-hmm. towns. And then Seattle came on board a few years ago. So it's in, in various places of North America. America. Check it out on social media. Get involved. If you're not in those places, your global listener, you can still amplify, you can still hashtag, uh, you can still draw attention to this because wherever we are in the world, our sisters are our sisters. So please get involved online and in person if you can go down to that march. That would be absolutely incredible. Elizabeth, could you tell us a little bit about the Union of British Columbian Indian Chiefs? All right, so the UBCIC is an NGO that fights for human rights and to save the earth. Um, So I just started there very recently. I was in the internship for the summer, and then they hired me full-time in September. And thanks. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um, So we have many different files, like health, education, water. Uh, So you'll see us on the front lines fighting Trans Mountain and Coastal Gas Link and yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity to work there. But uh, one of the best um, parts of my job is that I help and chair the coalition meetings. So the coalition, in a nutshell, is different organizations around British Columbia, mostly the Lower Mainland, that get together at a table and we want to end violence against women and uh, stop the Indigenous women or all women from going missing and being murdered. How can we help? How can we get on board and help you? Do you need funding? Do you need amplification? What can we do to help? I mean, you can never have enough money for things like that, right? You can never have enough money. So is there a way to donate? There are different causes you obviously know, like if you want to fund the frontline workers that are protecting the earth, because when we protect the earth, we protect ourselves right and our women so you can you can donate to those causes like tiny house warriors uh unistodan camp and for the coalition i would say the feb 14 march would be a good one um what else carol (laughs) oh the women's center so megan markle visited the women's center yesterday um she's been in the news a bit lately uh, and she's, I saw yesterday, it said, oh, it's the first time Meghan Markle has stepped out, like literally left the house. And this is where she went. She went to your local women's centre. Uh, so she's brought some uh, a light and some awareness to it. What we're saying is it's kind of a big deal. Not that it needs to be endorsed by a royal actress, but it has been. And so <laughs> it means it's in the media. Give it a Google. You'll be able to see. This is local to you guys in Vancouver, so you guys can absolutely get involved. But around the world, you know, we understand through colonization, 
some massive violence has been wrought on indigenous people and those people live in the socioeconomic margins because of that it's not that long ago and the effects are real now sometimes it's very difficult for white people to acknowledge it because what it means is we might be asked to give up or share some of the advantages that we have from it. Some white people get very defensive and go, I didn't do it, I wasn't born yet. It's like, no, but you are living off the ill-gotten gains and there's something you can do. You don't have to be personally responsible to do something about making the world a fairer and more just place, even if that sometimes is to your own cost. And so... Um, I think people are very frightened of white privilege. They're like, I don't have privilege. Like, privilege is a great thing to have. Privilege is awesome. Who doesn't want privilege? The question is, what are you doing with that privilege? Privilege is a steamroller. It can lift things. It can move things. The question is, are you only moving things for people like you and yourself? Or are you moving things out of the way, using your privilege to move things out of the way for people who have not got that steamroller? That's the question. On that note, I would say we don't just want your money. We want your presence. We want your voice. We want your beauty to be on the streets with us when we're marching and rallying for those causes. Excellent. There's nothing more feminist, Vancouver, and the surrounds that you can do than this. Amnesty International have got a presence out the front. They're fighting for these human rights. So please, please, please find a way to get involved. This is feminism that matters. This is feminism that's local to you. And this is feminism where you can actually be excited to use your privilege for something wonderful. Is there anything else that you came to tell us that you have not told us? Well, I was thinking if I wore this out here, I was thinking I'm an older person now, but I thought I felt like that. You know that Smuds the Cat, the Mimi? And if I wore it, then you'd have to shoot something at me, and then I'd have to come out with, a, with, <laughs> with something. But as soon as I walked out, I took it off, and I thought everything just left my head. I wouldn't be able to respond to you. <laughs> it's a beautiful headpiece, and please feel free to wear it. It's lovely. Could you give yourselves an enormous round of applause for coming out, getting through the snow? I really want everyone to get home safely. Please get home safely. We're over halfway on the tour now, and uh, I have to say, don't tell America, but Toronto and Vancouver have been my favorite shows of the tour. Don't go putting that on Twitter. I don't want the Americans getting pissed off and not turning up in Seattle. Um, although it might make them like competitive and be like, we can be better than Vancouver. Um, they can't. Now, you guys have said that there's a song that you do at the marches and that you do when you get together. Um, just, I'm just going to... We do the Women's Warriors song. We do the, we do the, we do the Women's Warriors song um, at our march every year. Uh, rallies, events, funerals. Um, it is a song that is lent to us from um, an elder named Martine Pierre. She comes from the Lilawat Nation, uh, Mount Curry. The song came to her in a sweat lodge. And it's a prayer song, and she's loaned it to us for many years. 
It was only, I'd say maybe 10, 11 years ago, she joined us. She travels to come march with us. She comes in drums and sings with us. We didn't bring our drums with us, but there's a big audience here, so like when we're singing, can you just do that? Okay. So we're gonna start singing now the warrior song. Slow. Hey, 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 for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Brittany Rand, Karita Sword, and everyone at the Commodore Ballroom, as well as all of you for listening. Thank you, Vancouver. For more information about this and other episodes, visit GeltyFeminist.com. Someone there in the front row saying no. What, what, uh, could, it's, I, I, no, no, that's why we're, I, did you not hear me clarify and start saying people with vaginas and people with penises? Thank you. No, that's what I, that's why I started saying people with vaginas and sure. people with penises. So I, I, I was, I was clarifying and correcting ahead of you. <laughs> and I feel so smug about that. I'm glad you're heckled. <laughs>